Um, I wonder if you enjoy rejection. You know what rejection means, don't you? Yeah, uh, when you're rejected, and rejection is very painful for us, uh, especially uh, the closer someone is to you. If, if someone rejects you and doesn't know you, that's not painful, is it? But if the closer a person is to you, perhaps family especially, that rejection is extremely painful. Um, and then uh, mixed with that, as Christians, we've got this rejection that comes because we feel when when we're rejected, the gospel's rejected, and this and the thing we hate in those people around us is when they reject Jesus, don't we? We're going to talk about that a little bit today. Uh, people, uh, one of the pro- problems with we have is that we are insecure. Is that true? Put up your hand if you're not insecure. You, if you if you aren't in, if you're insecure, you're too embarrassed to put up your hand anyway because of what people think of you. So don't do that. Um, <laughs> that was a joke. Um, <laughs> a good one. Um, we are very insecure people, and um, so rejection uh, cuts to the heart of who we are, really. And uh, this, this, all this can be very painful. And um, the world tells us that the, the way to get out of that insecurity is to be self-confident. That'll do it. Because self-confident people... They seem to take rejection and it doesn't hurt them at all. But of course, the people who are most secure in this world, who have least insecurities, they've done studies in this, are psychopath murderers in jail. So if the world says, um, be confident in yourself, be secure, what they're really saying is, be psychopathic. <laughs> Good on you. Okay, that's a, that's a long intro. To um, a subject today, we're talking about a, a, a rejection of Jesus. Um, now we're not like Jesus, um, but um, it, because he was without sin, he was the Son of God. But we'll, we'll look at that, and then we'll look at the call uh, to preach the gospel in light of rejection and the firmness of and the unchangingness of the gospel. Okay, so we're in Mark chapter six, verse one. Uh, Jesus went away from there and came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and, and Judith, Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour except in his hometown, amongst his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that which he laid, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marvelled because of their unbelief. Now, we're going to go on for the next part in a while, but we'll talk about that passage. Is that up there? Yeah. Um, So Jesus went back to Nazareth. That was his hometown. He went back. There were his relatives. They knew his brothers there. They knew his sisters there. Uh, Obviously, they were just, not saying a well-known family. When you come from a small town, everybody's a well-known family, aren't they? Everybody knows everybody else's business. 
everybody knows that they're better than everybody else. That's always what makes a good small town, isn't it? Um, and we remember once before in Mark 3, Jesus was teaching in a house and his family actually came to get him because they thought maybe he's gone a bit mad and people are reporting to him that Jesus is doing strange stuff. And he said, who is my mother, who is my brothers, aren't all of you who... Everyone who uh, believes in, in God it comes up to Jesus uh, is my mother and my brothers. But this is uh, him going back, not so much to his family, but to his hometown, to the place he was brought up, to uh, the place he was a boy and a young man and so on. He was before the community in that way. And he began to teach in the synagogue and they were astonished. Where did he get this teaching from? Uh, where did he get the authority that he taught with? Where did he get the wisdom he has? Uh, someone who is, knows these things that Jesus is teaching, someone's got to have taught him, and we know it wasn't his family. Have a look at them. We know what they're like, right? How does he do these miraculous things? Now, and Now, they're asking all these questions, and you think they might be impressed, but it's at that point that they go, yeah, hang on, we know this fella, right? We know his family didn't teach him these things. Uh, is, it, is he a carpenter? I mean, carpenter, manual labourer, second rate. That's what a carpenter is, isn't it? We all know that, yeah? Yeah. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you go to university, you look down on carpenters, right? Yeah, because you know you... Yeah, that's right, good, yeah. We'll do counselling later for you two. Um, now, um, so this is the carpenter. This is the son of Mary. Um, yeah, not so smart, surely. We know their family. So we reject what he's saying. Must be a put-up. Maybe, I don't know, I don't know what they were thinking. Maybe someone taught him to speak like that and, you know, it's just a fake or something like that. But um, as I said before, actually it's true. In, in, in small communities, most people, because you know everybody else really well, people who live in country towns, have a, they know a lot more people. If you live in the city, you have a very small friendship group. In the, in the country town, you still probably have a small friendship group, but you know lots of other people. You know what's going on in their life. Did you hear about... Yeah? You know what they've been doing, Yeah? So you look down on them. Uh, everybody thinks in a way that they're better than others. That's just part of human sinful nature. But it can be based on your social standing. It can be based on the money you have. Generally, it's based on gossip. And um, basically because we know better than everybody else in our minds. Now, Nazareth, as a town, was a town that was looked down on by everybody as well. It was like... I don't know what town around Queensland, in South Australia we have our own town where you go, oh, they come from so-and-so. Well, that's what Nazareth was. That's that place where people look down on. In fact, when, when I think it's Philip and Andrew first talk about this Jesus, one says to the other, from Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth? Like, that's, isn't that like, they're all drongos over in Nazareth, aren't they? And even the people in Nazareth think this about Jesus himself. He couldn't have authority from God. 
uh, and they rejected the thought that as the start of Mark's teaching us that Jesus is the king, he can't be a wise teacher, he can't definitely can't be a prophet. In fact, it says, not only did they reject him, it says they are offended that he, that little upstart, will come back to town teaching us, really. And they called him the son of Mary, which is an unusual description, because normally you would be called the son of your father, the son of Joseph, perhaps. But really, uh, what it's assumed behind this is that there'd always been rumours about Jesus being illegitimate. And so... Uh, you know, because the whole virgin birth thing would give rise to that. And, um, and we know the Pharisees said at one point to him, well, we know who our father is. Uh, how about you, Jesus? So that was a charge often brought against him. In other words, they're ridiculing him. They're rejecting his authority. Uh, yeah. And Jesus says to them, A prophet is not without honour except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Hometown, relatives, household. See, he narrows that down. Jesus teaches about what's going on here. When we get rejected and ridiculed, we naturally just teach. No, that's not what we do, is it? We either whinge or we fight back, don't we? You know... Uh, we, um, and he is, he is, this rejection and ridicule, this is his own people. And he teaches into this situation. A prophet is honoured, but he's not honoured in his hometown. He's not honoured among his relatives or among his household. Now, this rejection that Jesus is, is be- beginning he- with here, it, it, it finds its fulfilment, actually, in the rejection he comes at, at, to at the cross, where he's crucified. And that crucifixion, if you think about it, is ultimately arranged and organised and set up by his own nation and by the, the religious rulers. And he's the son of God. And their religious rulers are worshipping the God of the son that they kill. Yep, that's, that's rejection. They set up his execution. It was prophesied about Jesus in Isaiah. He would be despised and rejected by men. That's what it says. So, if you ever think, if I was a sinless person, maybe everyone would love me, I think you got it wrong. Okay? People don't like holy people. They don't like sinless people. Because we actually live in a world that despises God's holiness. Don't you tell me what's right and wrong. I'll tell you what's right and wrong. And it's not what you're saying. Do you understand? So, in some respects, we can can apply this to ourselves. It is true that in our hometown we'll be less respected. That's a fact. We're less likely to get a hearing. It's actually quite hard to preach the gospel to those you're closest to in your families. Is that true? Yep. Um, but the, there is a difference. We, we're not like Jesus, okay? Um, we went home last year and uh, a member of my family said to me, I, I became a Christian when I was 23, and uh, she said, I remember your 21st. I know what you're like. Yeah. Right. That's 32 years ago. <coughs> 32 years. And... 
And it's like, yeah, no, that's right. And, and I could say, but I've changed. I'm not like that anymore. I'm perfect now. <laughs> no, she knew that I'm not perfect. I was a hypocrite then, and I'm a hypocrite now. Yep. I'm actually not like Jesus, so I can't put myself fully in, into his place. But the truth is, in your hometown, in your relatives, in your household, um, it, people are more likely to refuse to believe what you tell them because they say, well, I know what you're like. I saw you in your early years. Yeah. They'll reject also there because of that. They'll reject your witness about Jesus. Okay. It's hard to speak to people about Jesus in their own families because for some reason it just seems that our message doesn't carry that authority. I hope that makes sense. In fact... Um, if we do preach Jesus to our families, we're more likely to be met with, well, who's the high and mighty one now? Yeah. Oh, so you know everything, do you? Yep. That's true. This is encouraging. Doesn't sound encouraging, does it? Right. So if you meet that resistance, I think you've, got a, you've been told here to expect it. That's the encouragement here, isn't it? Yeah. That don't think, oh, well, I'm going to, you know, just go home and teach all my family and they're going to go, oh, thank goodness for you, oh, holy one. That's not what's going to, we're not going to get that. Do you understand? So you should actually be a little bit less disappointed when you get that rejection and that, that offence and that ridicule. Yep, that makes sense? But outside of your family and outside of your hometown and so on, they don't carry those preconceptions or, or whatever you want to call them and so you actually do get more of a hearing yep that's true okay and then it goes on to say is this actually important stuff for us I think this is very pastoral isn't it because this is where we live and he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them and he marvelled because of their unbelief uh, the people would not believe in Jesus, so he couldn't do any mighty work there. All he could do was heal a few people. That's not, that's not that good, is it? Just healing people. It, it's funny, though. In, in light of this, it's saying, well, all he could do is heal people. That's not that important. Because the powerful work of changing hearts was not happening, which is far more important, because the power of work of changing hearts, which is what the miracles point to as a sign is it's of central importance is of eternal value okay what does it mean and there's a lot of discussion about this he could not do those things um, he was the son of God right so if he's the son of God if he's God incarnate he can, I can tell you this he can heal anybody at any moment Jesus could always do that couldn't he um, he could do any miracles at any point. His power is not limited by people's faith. In fact, all the time he was doing things against people's faith. Um, but you see, what it, what, it, what it means in that he, he could not do it, he could not do it because the Father didn't permit him to do it. Does it? It wasn't what his calling was to do those miracles before people who were not believing in him. It wasn't because he was unable. He could not because the Father said, do not. Why would that be? 
Well, all along we've been talking about miracles for the past however many months, and we're saying that they're signs that point to something, aren't they? And that the miracle is a sign that the one who did the miracle is who he said he was. Okay? So if, if Jesus were to do a miracle for a group of people who would not believe in him and were refusing to believe in him, then he would actually be, he'd be kind of pointing a sign away from himself. Yeah, you can have everything. You can do miracles without me. You don't need me. You don't need Jesus. You can just have all the fluffy bits, all the temporal bits of, 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 of Christianity. You, you understand what I'm saying there? I haven't explained myself well. I'll try, try again. So he speaks and they reject him because that's what happens first. He goes and teaches in the synagogue. They reject him as king. They reject him as prophet. They reject him as from God. So if they completely rejected him and then he did miracles for them and blessed them in that way, that's, that would point away from him, wouldn't it? I'm doing this hearing miracle. You know, he, he heals that man who's lowered through the roof and he said, so that you know that I've got authority to forgive sins and then he heals him. Okay, he's pointing towards the authority he has to forgive sins. But you see, if, he, if everybody rejected him and he did the miracle, he'd be saying, right, well, there's what you've got to do. Just reject Jesus and you'll get everything. Am I making more sense to you now? You know, there's a, a movement in the world which is trying, where people are trying to want to set up churches for atheists. Okay, because what the atheists have realised is there's a lot that happens in a church which is really useful. People get together and have community. They encourage each other. They help each other. So they actually get together and they sing songs together, have cups of tea together. Uh, they listen to you know empowering messages, just not about Jesus. That's all. Yeah. Or, or could we have a church that, that is going gung ho, trying to do miracles and, uh, and 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 doing all of that without preaching the message of the gospel? Well, that wouldn't happen, would it? except right across the Western world. Um, you understand? You don't want to have a church without the message that points to Christ, or else what it points to is dangerous. Now, all of that is to say, because of their unbelief, Jesus would not do miracles amongst them. Okay? Their unbelief came after they heard the message. They actually, they weren't rejecting something they didn't know about. They were rejecting the message. So the disciples here just experienced something uh, that Jesus was teaching them. Okay, and, and we're going to go on to see what happens in the next part of the story for them. Um, okay. But understand this, God offers his grace to us through Jesus Christ. If we reject his grace, his punishment to us is to give us what we ask for. Hmm. That makes sense, that's simple isn't it? Okay, <laughs> like after on judgment day, everybody will get what they ask for. Hmm. Does that make sense? 
Okay, we're going on to verse, uh, halfway through verse 6. Hopefully we'll tie up this a bit more at the end. But he went around among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for the journey except the staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Jesus sends out his disciples on a missionary journey. Sent them out in pairs, all 11 of them. That was a joke. (laughs) Um, Going twos. Two is a sign of you have a witness which has authority when when two say it. When two bear witness to what? To Jesus. The king. When they say repent, they're saying turn to Jesus, the king. Okay? He, they went out as his representatives. And he said to them, take nothing for the journey except uh, a staff. Don't take any bread. No bag. Uh, so so you wear your sandals. Don't take a second jumper. Uh, don't take your lunchbox. Now the bag, the Greek word for bag there was basically a begging, a beggar's bag. It was like, you know the hat that you put in front of you when you play the violin in, in the mall and uh, you get money? Don't take that. In other words, um, don't, ask, don't beg for money along the way. You're not to do that. Um, and if you're asked to stay at someone's house, stay there. Don't move on to the next place. In other words, you might get asked to stay with the Joneses, but then you find out the Smiths have got a bigger house and they've got more room and they serve nice food. Don't move on to their house because of that. Okay? And if anyone rejects you, shake the dust off your feet and move on. Now, this, this shaking off the dust as a testimony before them, it's a public sign of judgment. So, you're rejecting my message... I'm shaking the dust off my feet. And, and it, the, the, that was a Jewish thing to do when they went to another country. Other countries were unclean. So when they got back to the border, they'd shake the dust off. I'm not taking them any, any of Syria back in with me to, to Israel. Okay? I'm not, it's unclean. And uh, so what it's saying is, if anyone rejects you, shake the dust off your feet from that town or that group of people and move on to the next one. As a sign... What you're really saying to them, your judgment is on your head. You've asked for it, you're going to get it. You ask not to have a saviour, you're not going to get a saviour. Okay. Now, you've got to see this now in light of the first story. The disciples get this. Jesus has been loved. There were so many people in the house, he couldn't do anything. Jesus has been hated. And what did he do when he was rejected in Nazareth? He went on to the next village preaching. They've seen him rejected, haven't they? They get that. They've seen the way it is. And, and you know, you can really say, um, if that's what it was like for Jesus, why should I expect that it all to be roses? Because it won't be. 
they had a realistic view of what life under the Son of God was like. Okay? They didn't think, when the disciples went out, we are going to be accepted and affirmed and loved by everybody everywhere we go because we're Christians. Because Jesus, the Son of God, who did great miracles, who was a a teacher who taught with authority, he was rejected even by his own people. Okay, if you live with a hope that all people will love you and accept you, well, that comes from insecurity. That's where it comes from. If we live with the hope that that everyone is going to love us in that way, Jesus is saying to us fairly clearly, that is just not the case and it's never going to be the case. Not for him, not for his followers. Okay. The message of Jesus defi- sorry, the message of Jesus divides people. That's what we're saying. Yep. And if you don't want to divide people, don't tell the message of Jesus. That's the easy way out of it, isn't it? Yep. Want everyone to love you? Just give them money. Just give just just be nice to them all the time. Don't preach Jesus. Yep. Okay, the message of Jesus divides people into those who believe and those who don't believe and not everyone will believe. If a church is led by insecure people, then naturally you will t- they will tone down the divisive part of the message, the cross that is. You tone down the message of the cross, don't mention sin, everyone's lovely, Accept everybody and it's going to be lovely for everybody. And you can do that and churches live with great successful ministries with that. But you see, the cross, the cross causes an offence. It, it causes people to be divided. Okay. We lose the cutting edge when we refuse to the message of the gospel which divides people. So, shake the dust off your feet. Expect people to not believe. This, what it means is sometimes uh, in our doubts as Christians, we think, no one's believing this message. The message must be wrong. Or maybe the message doesn't carry power as it should. But this is telling us, no, the message will cause some to believe and some not to believe. That's the heart of the message. We're told that all through, really, aren't we? Like, think of the parable of the sower. Some people are not going to... Some people are going to fall away. We're told that. Some people are not going to believe. That's how it goes. That is the norm of Christian ministry. It doesn't mean that the gospel is not powerful and authoritative. Making sense? Now, there's actually, if you go into Acts, there's examples of how this worked out. In Acts 18, verse 5 and 6, it says, When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and he said to them, Your blood will be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. 
shook out, he shook the dust out of his garments. Make sense? And in Acts thirteen forty nine, and the word of the Lord was spreading through the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They preached. Now, we know that's not the whole story of Acts, don't we? We know that they preached in some places and lots of people believed. But I just named two places where the people rejected them, particularly the Jews in this case, and they shook the dust off their feet and they moved on. They shook out their garments, they shook the dust off their feet, and you notice what happened. I'll just read the last bit. They shook the dust off from their feet against them and went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That's what, that's what we do when we're rejected, isn't it? <laughs> filled with the Holy Spirit with joy. So what, like, <laughs> what? They didn't get depressed and whingy. That's me. Sorry, I'm not looking at any of you. They were filled with joy. The gospel, is, the gospel is working when people are divided. That doesn't sound like a great message to make a happy life, does it? It didn't mean, look, they didn't say, okay, this message about Jesus is kind of causing a bit of a stir. Can we tone it down a bit? Let's just say... Jesus is going to make you happy and wealthy and wise and yeah and all that stuff. Help? Can I forget healthy? I don't know. Okay. Jesus uh, later on, uh, at the end of Matthew, he gave a commission to us. He gave a commission to his disciples, but by extension, us. And and one of the questions we ask with this passage. It, did, are we in the same position? Has Jesus given us authority to cast out demons, to do all that as his representatives, as he did at that particular time? Because, you see, after the disciples came back, we're only in chapter 6 of Mark there, the disciples don't go on doing all that, do they? In fact, at, soon after, they failed to be able to cast out a demon. They can't do it. And Jesus says, that, you're not praying, you're not having faith. You're just trying to go through the religious motions of doing things the way that you've seen me do them. You're not doing it before God. And then he casts out the demon. In other words, they didn't go on having that same authority. But Jesus at the end said, he came to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's a little bit different because Jesus, in this, at the end, has all authority in heaven and on earth. that makes sense? Not we have authority, not we are little Jesuses running around with the same authority. The difference is... He has all authority and he is with us until the end. We have the Holy Spirit, but we are not the authoritative ones. Take the best of your Bible. 
Because you see, the Christian life is a life of faith. Complete reliance on the God who is with us at every moment. And any authority we have at any moment is not our authority, it's his authority, because all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. So what happens is we are completely joined to him. Uh, like uh, the parable he speaks of the vine. Remain in me. Abide in me. Stay attached to me. You don't have an authority outside of Christ. You have his authority and his Holy Spirit, his goodness flowing from him to us at every moment. One of the, at the heart of sinfulness is to be independent. I can do it myself. We're not like that. We are attached to Jesus. We live by faith. We are reliant on him for absolutely everything. And that is good because we're never alone. The one we have faith in is with us. And that faith's unshakable, not because it's our faith. It's unshakable because it's in him who he is unshakable. And what he's given us is unshakable. He has done everything required for us in salvation. It's not we kind of do it ourselves in some way. We believe in him, we call on his name. Now, in light of all this, everything we have is in Christ. Okay, we get that? Secondly, we can entrust our families and our hometowns to him and his wisdom and power. It's not all going to happen through us. We can have peace with that. We're not the only ones in the kingdom, by the way. God has other people in those. He has other people who know our families and our hometowns. Do you know that? Yep. He sends other people to them. So we can actually be at peace knowing that we're not in control of this universe, which we want to be all the time. Yeah? And we're not in control of those who we love the most. We can entrust them to the witness of God and and, uh, the witness of God that comes through others. And um, we can also be at peace knowing that in gospel ministry, there will be people who will believe. But there will be people who reject the message and we can be at peace when that's the case. And in either case, we can be filled with joy because we know the one who has saved us. And we know the Father. So we can live filled with the Holy Spirit. Father, I want to thank you for this message. It's, uh, there's so much in it for our personal lives. Uh, and uh, it's different for each one of us here. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would apply this message now to us. And in the weeks to come, that we would ponder on it. And that we would understand better uh, our role as gospel ministers. Uh, in this community, in our families, in those around us. And also that, Father, that this message which says some will believe and some won't, I pray that this would be an encouragement for us by your Spirit because we would be able to see that you are the one who is at work, you are the one that has all authority in heaven and earth, and that we can entrust ourselves to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.